Warren Morris. It's a deep drive down the right field line. That ball is gone! LSU wins the College World Series on a home run by Morris! What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the 60 Feet 6 Inches LSU Podcast. As always, thank you all for joining me. In this episode, I will review the Tuesday night game as LSU took on Tulane down in New Orleans, and then I will preview the upcoming weekend series as the Kentucky Wildcats make their way to Baton Rouge. As always, I will take a look at the key Kentucky hitters and pitchers that you should be aware of. I will give you my three keys to the weekend for the Tigers, who are my picks for the get-right-stay-right list, and finally, the series prediction along with the SEC rundown at the conclusion of the pod. As you all know by now, you can find the podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, and all the other major audio platforms. If you are checking this out on the YouTube page, please make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the content. And then finally, the Twitter account is at 60FT6INLSUPOD. If you missed the last episode, I recapped the South Carolina series as LSU splits in Columbia with the rain-shortened series canceling Game 3. As always, you can find that review of South Carolina on the YouTube channel, and it is linked on my Twitter account as well. So let's get into it. First up, LSU comes away with an 11-5 victory over Tulane. That moves the Tigers to 27-5 on the year. When you look at it from a pitching perspective, Christian Little got the start, but unfortunately uh, not a bumpy start per se, just a little inconsistent. But he throws 40 pitches in the first inning. I would imagine they wanted him to go one more inning in the grand scheme of things. But when he throws 40 pitches, you can't run him out there, especially if you expect him to start game three versus Kentucky on Saturday. But in the end, uh, little just too many balls. And we've seen that from him this year. But uh, I had some questions come across on Twitter. I just think it's um, not necessarily his mechanics, maybe his confidence a little bit. But sometimes it's just some rust, right? When he doesn't get consistent time on the mound especially in a game not in the bullpen the bullpen is just a completely different environment but on a game you want to see him throw consistently but he's only been getting an inning here an inning and a third there every seven days and uh that's part of his own doing obviously but when he's not consistent he's not going to have a great release point on the mound it's different when you have opposing batters in the box but um Hopefully that gives him something to build off of as he moves to game three and hopefully he gets a chance to start to show what he can do in SEC play. Also following up, uh, Christian Little was Blake Money. He throws okay. He does a good job in his first inning, but his second inning, he comes out again and gives up a home run. That seems to be a consistent theme, unfortunately, for Money this year as he has given up, I think, four or five home runs uh, in the 2023 season for the Tigers. Then Collins follows Money, and he throws really well. He goes two and two-thirds innings, zero hits, two walks, and two Ks. Obviously, the walks could be an issue, but it seems like Bryce Collins is starting to figure things out with his command of his fastball and getting that big curveball that he has in the zone. And hopefully he is starting to turn the corner because I'll tell you what, that LSU bullpen definitely needs him. Following Collins was Dutton. Then Cooper finally came on. And I put this out on Twitter. I was wondering where Thatcher Hurd was. Well, you saw him as he closed out the game against Tulane. He looked a little shaky at first as he spiked a couple fastballs and he seemed to be shaking his head. And as a fan, and you know, you almost thought, here we go again. But at the end, he figured it out, right? His last three hitters looked really good as he gets two strikeouts out of his last three hitters. And it seemed like from a mechanical perspective, he was finally driving through the mitt. Like he was staying on line. He was finishing his pitches. He wasn't pulling off to the first base side, allowing that fastball to go in the dirt or finish up high. And hopefully that allows um, 
her to build some confidence heading into the weekend. The TV didn't have the velocity for his fastballs, but I was very curious in terms of what his velo looked like. It just looked like it was a little harder than it had been, but that is completely speculation on my part. So in the guy in the end, the guys who needed work got work. Nobody got injured, which is a big plus for LSU right now. And uh, the guys who threw against Tulane continue to get better and improve or continue to work on things. And they're going to have to get those things right um, as they head into the weekend and as we get deeper into SEC play. When you look at the hitters, LSU finished the game with 19 hits as six out of the eight hitters had multi-hit nights. I really like the lineup change. If you follow me on Twitter and caught the South Carolina review episode, I called for a couple of lineup changes, and I had numbers and stats to back that up. And that's exactly what we saw versus Tulane. Malazzo got to start at catcher, which has really been the norm during the midweek as Brady Neal has been catching all three weekend games. So you want to give his legs a chance to rest. But I think Malazzo does enough, and I think he deserves to start this weekend versus Kentucky. You saw Joe Bear get to start in the outfield. And unfortunately, Paxton Clean got injured in the Tulane game. Therefore, Joe Bear is definitely going to see more PT in the outfield, as will Josh Pearson. But Brayden Joe Bear hits a home run. Thompson continues to stay hot as he hits another bomb. And Jared Jones mashes on the night as he collects three doubles. Tommy White also had a big night as he hits a double off the wall, and he is responsible for three RBIs. All right, enough of beating up on the green wave. Let's get into the Kentucky Wildcats. So, Unfortunately, Kentucky had their Tuesday night game versus Louisville canceled due to some uh, unfortunate events in Louisville, and let's just leave it at that. So Kentucky comes into LSU uh, in the weekend series. They are 27-5 and on the year. They are 9-3 and in SEC play. They just got off the back of losing two out of three to Georgia on the weekend. But before that, Kentucky had swept Mississippi State. They took two of three from Alabama, and they swept Mizzou as well. So as you can see from that schedule, they haven't even come close in terms of getting into the heart of the SEC competition. They are currently ranked 12th in the country, and they are number one in the RPI, while LSU stands at number four in the RPI. And listen, I'm going to be the first one to say I was wrong. When I did the preview episodes, I had Kentucky finishing last in the SEC East, and they only I only had them winning seven SEC games. And we'll get into some of those reasons why, but obviously I was wrong on that. And uh, their start has been very surprising to me. Probably the biggest surprise, unless you look at Vanderbilt and what they've been able to do with the bats this year. You knew that Vanderbilt could pitch, but their hitting has definitely surprised me. But in terms of the Kentucky, the success they've had, the rankings that they've achieved, definitely been a surprise to me. Looking at some of their team stats, now that we're four SEC series in, I'm going to start looking, taking a look at SEC stats only and backing some of those up with uh, yearly stats or national stats. But uh, I like to give SEC play a chance to kind of get going, uh, things to even out, if you will, before I really get into those statistics. So I will say this. Kentucky will be different than any team that LSU has faced up to this point, and the stats will definitely bear that out. So just hang on there with me. When you look at hitting, they're hitting 299 overall as a team. But when you look at SEC play, Kentucky's hitting 266. Contrast that with LSU. LSU is second in the conference when you look at SEC play as they are hitting 294. LSU and Kentucky are both in the top four in conference in terms of on-base percentage. Kentucky has the least amount of home runs in the conference, and that is not even close. They are at 22 home runs on the year. 
But Kentucky does lead the SEC in stolen bases, and they are fifth in the country in sack bunts. Therefore, they lead the SEC in that category as well. So that is what makes this series very challenging and very different from any team that LSU has faced in terms of conference play up until this point. When you look on the pitching side of things, they have a very good staff, and the numbers back that up. Kentucky is second in the SEC when you look at team ERA, and they are top 10 ERA numbers in the country. Their pitching staff has the second lowest batting average against in conference play, but they have struck out the fewest amount of opposing hitters in SEC play. On the flip side, LSU's pitchers have struck out the second most opposing hitters in SEC conference play. Finally, the gold-plated money stat of the weekend, Kentucky's pitchers have the lowest batting average against in the conference with two outs, meaning with two outs, their pitchers bear down, they get the job done, they do not allow other teams to extend innings. And you know how in the 60 feet, 6 inches LSU pod, we talk about how important that is. That batting average against for Kentucky's pitchers with two outs is 140. On the flip side, LSU's hitters, they score the third most runs in the SEC with two outs. So definitely a contrast in styles. And something's going to have to give this weekend. Let's just hope that sways on LSU's side of things in terms of the ability to score runs and extend innings with two outs. Something I'm definitely going to be able to be paying attention to. Looking at key hitters for the Wildcats, and this is one of the main reasons I had them rated so low when I did my SEC preview podcast. They lost all, every single one of their starting hitters in that lineup from last year. They hit the portal very hard. So they've had success with portal transfers and they've had success with guys who didn't play as much last year. And they've really stepped up and contributed a ton for the Wildcats. They don't have a ton of power. Obviously, I noted that. But they're going to get on base and they're going to steal and they're going to bunt and they're going to put a lot of pressure on LSU this weekend. This isn't Arkansas, Tennessee or South Carolina where those lineups could run the ball out of the ballpark on a consistent basis. Kentucky plays very differently. And obviously, some of it has to do with their ballpark. They play in a big ballpark. Their field is completely astroturf. So they do a good job of taking advantage of doubles. They hit a lot of doubles, triples, and then finally uh, running as they have a lot of team speed. In terms of their hitters, they are led by Hunter Gilliam. He is really the guy that makes this entire lineup go. He's leading the team in batting average at 379, also leading the team in home runs with six and 42 RBIs on the year for Gilliam. He is followed up by Emilian Petrie, who is hitting 349 with 31 RBIs, and the 31 RBIs is second on the team. Petrie has 10 stolen bases. This is getting ready to be a theme right here. Jace Felker hitting 341 on the year, excuse me, with 13 stolen bases. Another guy who can run, Jackson Gray, who's hitting above 300 as well, and he has 14 stolen bases. And then finally, Ryan Waldschmidt hitting 307 with three home runs, so a little more power from Walsh-Schmidt, and 10 stolen bases. Their catcher, Devin Burks, who hurt LSU in the SEC tournament, also has four home runs on the year for Wildcats. So as you can see right there, I just rattled off four guys with double-digit stolen bases. And LSU, I don't even, they barely have double-digit stolen bases on the entire year as a team, and that's like in the teens. So Petrie with 10, Felker with 13, Jackson Gray with 14, and then Walt Schmidt with 10 stolen bases. Obviously, that is something that the LSU coaching staff and the pitchers will be acutely aware of, as will the catchers and the middle infielders. 
and they're going to have to find a way to slow down that Kentucky running game because what they lack in power, they will definitely make up for in moving runners over and trying to find a way to get into scoring position to where they can score with a hit. When you look at their pitchers, their starters are good, but in my opinion, the bullpen is the strength of this pitching staff, and they are going to be key for them this weekend. Now, last year, I said this on the preview episode, and it's something I really took note of when I was doing research on the 2022 Kentucky Wildcats. They used an opener system to where they didn't have like true aces. So what they would do is they would put a guy in there for two to four innings, and they would back him up with another guy that would come in for two to four innings, much like you see some Major League Baseball teams do with their starters. And Kentucky does that. Not as much this year, but on Friday night, you will probably see some type of an opener system. And that's going to be a combination of Logan Martin and Darren Williams. The past couple outings, Martin has started. So he has five starts on the year, specifically on Fridays. And he's gone two to three innings, maybe four. In those five starts, he has 19 innings pitched with a 3.32 ERA. If for some reason he doesn't open, you will definitely see Darren Williams get the start. But Martin will be the first one to follow him out of the bullpen. Williams has a 3.31 ERA and 35 innings pitched. So some combination of those guys on Friday. I keep saying Friday. I completely apologize. Thursday. These Thursday, Friday, Saturday series are throwing me off. When you've been doing Friday, Saturday, Sunday for years, and that's how you played. So a little bit of a tangent, but I apologize. This is going to be Thursday. And this was in my notes as well as Friday. So bad on Chris right there. But back to the pitchers. You're going to see a combination of Martin and Williams in some form or fashion. So don't be surprised if Martin goes two or three and then he gets pulled, even if he's doing well, because that's the plan. That's how they choose to use him. And to be honest, it, it, it makes it tough for LSU hitters to get a beat on guys because we know that LSU really thrives after they've seen a pitcher um, two to three times throughout the order. They really figure out uh, what he can do and what their game plan is in terms of attacking them. Then on Friday, I got it right. On Friday, you will see veteran left-handed pitcher Tyler Bosma. Bosma is 4-2 and two on the year with a 4.33 ERA. 35 innings pitched. He does have a high batting average against, though, at 257 for Bosma. If that name sounds familiar, it should, Tiger fans, as he dominated LSU in the 2022 SEC tournament last year. He went six innings pitched. He only gave up one hit with 10 Ks. Obviously, he's left-handed. I can hear the collective groans among the fan base right now. But this year, his numbers seem to be a bit elevated. But LSU should see him on Friday night. Then finally, in game three, LSU will see right-handed pitcher Zach Lee, who is and 3-1 on the year for Kentucky. He comes in with a 3.40 ERA. He has 35 Ks and 37 innings pitched. So if you notice, I didn't give you a lot of strikeouts to innings pitched as I really highlight with past staffs and past teams. Just remember, they don't strike out nearly as many hitters as Arkansas will, as Kentucky will. But the one thing they do have is they have some very good arms in the bullpen. And let's highlight those guys right now. It's really four main guys, but two guys really stick out. And some people LSU fans should be acutely aware of. The first guy, y'all got to check this guy's numbers out. Ryan Hagenow, 12 appearances on the year. His ERA, 0.00. That is not a typo. Go look it up. Dude has not given up an earned run on the year. 12 innings, excuse me. 16 innings pitched, 24 Ks. He is allowing opposing hitters to only hit 
107 off him. So Ryan Hagenow, somebody who is a stud on the back end of the bullpen for the Wildcats. Also follow that up with Mason Moore. Mason has three saves on the year and 10 appearances for Kentucky. He sports a 121 ERA and 22 innings pitched. He has a 145 batting average against. So those two guys are the linchpin in the back end of that staff for Kentucky. They also have a lefty they like to use out of the pen, Jackson Nove, with 10 appearances. And then finally, right-handed pitcher Austin Strickland will definitely make one or two appearances this weekend as he has 11 appearances on the year for the Wildcats. So in that bullpen, Hagenow and Moore are keys. And you're going to see Nove and Strickland probably come in right after those starters. And then Moore has the ability to extend. But Hagenow is really kind of the back-end, slam-the-door type of a guy. So what are my three keys to the weekend after we just talked about Kentucky and what they bring to the box on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series? The first key, LSU's defense and the catching position are going to have to step up. We've already discussed how Kentucky will look to run. They're going to lay down sacrifice bunts. They're going to put pressure on the LSU defense, those infielders, the, the guys behind the plate, whoever it may be. And then obviously the pitchers have to do a good job in containing that running game with picks, varying up their timing. I don't think we've seen LSU throw a pitch out this year. Wouldn't be surprised if we see a couple of those to try to cut down the Wildcats in their running game. The defense is going to be have to be on their toes. Get this stat, okay? LSU's last seven games. They have committed nine errors, and those nine errors are more than they committed in the previous 26 games. So that has got to be cleaned up this weekend. That's the last seven games. So the defense is starting to show some cracks. You know, they committed a couple against Tulane, just being sloppy with the ball. Obviously, Thompson and White uh, committed some against South Carolina, fielding ground balls. Tommy White had a brain fart on a bunt coverage. But that is something to where Kentucky, if if, they, if you show Kentucky you can't field bunts or you don't know what to do when you get the ball or you fail to get an out, they're going to continue to lay down bunts or they're going to do some type of fake bunt steal, something like that to where they put runners in motion and they really pressure the defense to make those guys crack. So LSU needs to have to clean up the defensive side of things. Look, they still have a very good overall fielding percentage. They're going to be top 10 in the country, but that's something that I've become very aware of and just don't want it to get any worse. And playing a team like this, that's really going to stress you. I'm sure um, it'll be front and center this weekend. The second key to the weekend for LSU, they have got to throw more strikes as a pitching staff, starters and bullpen alike. And they've got to eliminate so many free passes that they have been giving out. If you look at LSU's last five games, so that's the Nichols, the two South Carolina games, the uh, two-lane game, and then the last Tennessee game. So the last five games, okay, LSU's pitchers have issued 32 walks to 57 strikeouts. That is not a great ratio like we talk about here on the 60 Feet 6 Inches LSU podcast. That cannot continue to happen. You will lose a game. You will give away a series. You will prevent yourself from getting out of a regional or a super regional or advancing in Omaha when you give away so many free passes. And I get it. The strike zone is absolutely tiny this year. The inconsistencies from midweek umps, from SEC umps, is absolutely maddening. I have that same feeling that y'all do when I watch these games. It is ridiculous that the belt is not a strike anymore or that people refer to the belt as the top of the zone. I mean, are you kidding me? I put that on Twitter last night. Go check the rule book, man. The belt is definitely a strike. 
but it's maddening that these pitchers don't get that pitch called nowadays, or it's very um, called inconsistently. Not every ump across the book calls that pitch a strike. And they're definitely not getting more than, uh, I would say, millimeters or even an inch off the black this year. They have completely eliminated that as well. So pitchers got to eliminate the free passes. 32 walks compared to 57 strikeouts in their last five games. But when you look at the first two Tennessee games, LSU had one walk to 14 strikeouts and back-to-back games. Now I realize Skeens plays a big factor in that. But when we look at Ty Floyd's game as well, just two walks in the first two Tennessee games. So pitchers eliminate so many free passes. The third key to the weekend, look, last weekend against South Carolina, I was looking for more power. This weekend, to me, it's just a greater sense of urgency from the hitters. They have to get back to where they get into these starters' pitch counts. They drive that up. They try to get those guys out the game by the fifth inning to get into that bullpen, really like they did earlier in the season. And I realize, I understand that they have faced some very good pitchers in some of the top teams in the country in terms of A&M, Arkansas, Tennessee, and then uh, South Carolina. A&M maybe not so much, but they still had some good arms and good lefties that they ran out there. But they have to really, uh, to me, get back to that method that they have. And it's tough to do against some elite arms. I completely understand that. They also have to look to finish, finish off innings again this weekend to where they score and they put pressure on the other team, on the defense, and it's constant, right? You can't go four to five innings without scoring runs against teams like this and as you get into the heart of SEC competition. Just like they did tonight against Tulane, I would love to see them score. Even if it's one inning, right, you're still putting pressure on on Kentucky and on the defense. Obviously, crooked numbers are great, but tonight against Tulane, they scored in six of the nine innings. Also, that goes along to the last key. If they have a chance to sweep, they got to do it. At some point, you have to take advantage of opportunities to sweep a series. You let that slip against AM. You let that slip against Tennessee at home. LSU has to do a better job of finishing teams off. And then when you have that chance to sweep in the third game, you've got to come out. You've got to grab the momentum. You've got to jump on those guys early. You know, and I realize the pitchers have something to do with that as well, to where they don't start off with clean starts. They don't throw up two to three zeros and let the offense uh, have a chance to get settled to see how that pitcher is attacking them. But you have to have a greater sense of urgency because sweeps are tough to come by in this conference. And if you really want to separate yourself and take things to the next level, sweeps are something that you have. And this weekend will be a great place to start. All right, guys. So who makes the get right, stay right list? First off, Dylan Cruz is on the get right list. Now, I'm not saying a guy who is the best player in the country and somebody who is hitting over 480 is in a slump. I'm not that dumb. But it's definitely uh, a little bit of a slump. Everybody's got to admit that to themselves. But if you look at Cruz, his last seven games, he's hitting 375. That's definitely not a slump. Uh, anybody would take those numbers around the country. So he is nine for his last 24, which is great. But if you take out his four-hit performance in game three versus Tennessee, Cruz is hitting 250 in his last six games. Now, that may be me cherry-picking stats, but it definitely seems like um, he's pressing a little bit more lately. He may be swinging at some pitches that he laid off of uh, earlier in the year. And um, even some pitches to where I thought he drove to right center, he's just getting a tad bit out in front of, and those are resulting in some of those rollovers or more ground balls or double plays that he's hit into previous to this year. So he's definitely due for some cruise missiles. I can foresee a couple of those 
this weekend. So Dylan Cruz, let's get right, baby. The last one on the get right list, it's a short one this weekend, the bullpen. Guys, let's just stay healthy this weekend. They cannot afford any more injuries to that bullpen staff. Now, we have seen some guys emerge like Cooper, Collins, Gavin Guidry. They seem to be turning the corner, especially those two vets in terms of what they look like in 2022. Also, Griffin Herring has emerged in the bullpen, but I wouldn't be surprised if you see him find a starting role this weekend. And if that does happen, therefore, Floyd um, or Hurd will have to rotate into the bullpen. And we need those guys to regain some consistency with their pitches and regain some of that confidence. Also need more shutdown innings from the guys in the bullpen moving forward to where if, if there's inconsistencies in game two or game three starters and it turns into bullpen games, we're really going to need those guys to step up. And then when you look at guys that have gotten hurt since the Shores, Edwards, Ackenhausen is still hurt right now. That bullpen death is getting a little thin. So unfortunately, possibly more weight on those guys' shoulders, and they're just going to need to step up. So bullpen, get right. Now when we look at stay right. Let's talk about Jordan Thompson. He has been on an absolute tear the past couple games. He has hit three home runs in his last three games, and he's got his average up to 305. And we know he's been Mr. Clutch with some key hits and some key situations. So Jordan Thompson, you continue to stay hot, baby, and stay right. The last guy on the stay right list is Gavin Guidry. So on the year, Gavin Guidry has a 1.42 ERA in six appearances. In six and a third innings pitched, he has 12 Ks, which is phenomenal when you look at Ks to inning pitch ratio. And he looked great in closing out South Carolina this weekend. As I mentioned on the South Carolina Review podcast, I think Guidry is going to take on more of that Garrett Edwards role since his status is up in the air as we're rating word on what his injury and future may be this year. Therefore, his innings are going to increase. Um, His high leverage situations are going to increase. And we just hope the freshman from Barb, the highly touted infielder who has now showed his medal on the mound, can can continue to produce and take over that Edwards role, which is more of a fireman role, right? Come in and get out of jams. So Gavin Guidry, you stay right this weekend against Kentucky. All right, we're wrapping up here on the 60 feet, 6 inches LSU pod. Let's get into my prediction for this Thursday, Friday, Saturday series with Kentucky coming to town. Look, Kentucky is getting ready to enter an absolute tortuous SEC grind as they finish on a down note last weekend at Georgia. Throw that in with the fact that they had to cancel their midweek game, so they didn't get a chance to get things right and get that loss out of their system. LSU does escape Columbia with a split, and then they blast Tulane, which was some great medicine coming off that hard-fought series and the inability to play game three against the Gamecocks. You're going to see LSU, they just kind of exited their hardest stretch of SEC play, and they're going to start to enter some uh, weaker competition. Let's just say that as they focus more on their SEC West foes. And now is the perfect time to come back to Alec Box Stadium, still with the number one ranking intact, with a little bit of something to prove. I felt like coming after off of that South Carolina series, and look, I don't know if the players hear the noise, but I felt like a lot of Gamecock fans, there was just a lot of noise in terms of how LSU played, especially coming off that game one um, shellacking that they took at the hands of South Carolina, then having to come back from behind in game two and win that game. It felt like there were a little more doubters after last weekend. People saying LSU got lucky. They didn't want to play game three. Paul Skeens was scared, blah, blah, blah. Look, and I'm going to admit it wasn't great for LSU, but when you look at the end of the day, 
they got the split and that's all that matters. <clears throat> now, I think, but no, not, not I think, I know that Paul Skeens is pissed after his outing versus South Carolina. I have very good information on that. And that he's mad that that lightning delay cut his outing short and that he thinks those guys got the better of him because he wasn't able to extend out of those last, really out of the three innings due to the lightning delay. So I think he has something to prove. Not that that guy has anything to prove to anybody. He's the best pitcher in the country. But I think in his mind, he's going to be pitching with a chip on his shoulder come Thursday night, which is very scary if you're a Kentucky fan and if you're a Kentucky hitter. I think LSU will be tested, and the pin is really thin right now, as we mentioned. There's consistent uh, questions that remain around the consistency of Game 2 and Game 3 starters. So that's something that they're going to have to shore up. We talked about this ad nauseum on the pod so far, but the defense is going to be tested with how Kentucky approaches games. But in the end, I think LSU has a chance to play their most complete series of the year and finally get that elusive sweep. Look, it's not the power lineup that they're going to be facing. And I'll admit, I'm not sure if the starters for Kentucky have power arms. I know that bullpen is very good in terms of Kentucky starters, though. I don't know if you're going to see, you know, Dolander, Burns, Bean type of stuff, Hagen Smith type of stuff. You know, I just don't know what they bring to the table in terms of velocity and secondary pitches. But I think LSU's hitters have a chance to build off that two-lane win and really do some damage in the box this weekend. Also, with some of the lineup changes that I hope they put in place, that I think they keep in place from the two-lane game, that lineup is very deep and has a ton of power, and you're going to see a bunch of left-handed bats, hopefully with the addition of Pearson and Joe Bear, Jones and Beloso are staying hot, and then with the addition of Malazzo and how well he's handled the bat this year, and then obviously what he brings from a catching perspective as well. So my prediction, that's right, baby, I'm doing it again. I'm calling for LSU to to sweep, a sweep, baby, the Kentucky Wildcats. Now, I know last time I did it, I called for it against Tennessee, and they had a chance. We just didn't come through. But I really feel it. This is finally the weekend where LSU kind of puts it all together against a top 12 team in Kentucky. They play great in all three phases of the game. Now, there will probably be some ups and downs with that defense. I will tell you that. Kentucky's going to bunt, and they're going to steal. So they're going to get theirs in terms of that. But I think the hitters really show some consistency in the three-game set. And I have a just a very confident feeling that LSU sweeps the Wildcats. All right, let's take a look quickly at the SEC rundown for the weekend. Mississippi State-Ole Miss rivalry series. I got State taking two out of three at home from Ole Miss, who continues to struggle as they dropped a midweek game last night. I got Florida sweeping Georgia. Even though Georgia took two out of three from Kentucky, I just think they're um, there's not a great team right now. And the Gators take care of the Bulldogs. I got Bama taking two out of three at home from their rivals, the Auburn Tigers. I got A&M taking two out of three at home versus Mizzou. And then the two marquee matchups besides the LSU series in the SEC, I think Vandy takes care of business against South Carolina, taking two out of three. I'm going to pay a lot of attention to that series. There should be intrigue in every game where you have um, two teams that can really swing it for Vandy surprising me in that category. But you have some really good pitchers going as well. And then finally, you have Arkansas and Tennessee as the Vols travel to Fayetteville. This has been a very heated series lately, but I have the Hogs coming out on top as they take two out of three from Tennessee. So that's going to do it for this week's review of the LSU two-lane game and the preview of the upcoming Kentucky series as they travel to the box. Once again, that is a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series here in Baton Rouge. As always, thank you all for tuning in. 
A reminder, subscribe to the YouTube channel and follow me on Twitter at 60FT6INLSUPOD. Check out the podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, all the other major audio platforms. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel so you get all the content there. Next up, be on the lookout for the Kentucky Review Pod. There's a good chance that I'll be able to set up a live stream with this series ending on Saturday. So we have a good chance to bring some guests on and go live on Sunday. That's kind of still up in the air at this time. But make sure to look out for additional details through the Twitter account and on the YouTube page as I uh, make a final decision on that. And let's look forward to what I hope for is an LSU sweep versus Kentucky. So until next time, y'all stay safe. And as always, go Tigers.